Marquis Jackson's television writing career started very early on. Way back in 1995, during season 5 of the NBC sitcom A Different World, characters Dwayne and Whitley broke up, and a young Marquis took it upon himself to write a five-episode story arc, correcting what he viewed as a colossal mistake that someone needed to fix. Those episodes never went anywhere, but it highlighted Marquis' passion for storytelling that he carries to this day. Marquis went on to study communications at DePaul University and earned his master's in media arts from TCU before starting his television career as an assistant on shows like Ugly Betty and Dirt. Marquis' writing career took off when he was accepted to the Disney Writing Fellowship and he earned his first writing credits on the Jerry Bruckheimer-produced Christian Slater-starring ABC series The Forgotten. He has since gone on to write for shows like House MD and the short-lived Lone Star. We talked to Marquis about the Disney Writing Fellowship program, what it's like being an assistant on a television show, the dynamic of a writer's room, and much more on the Scripts and Scribes podcast right now. Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga, and today we're speaking with television writer Marquis Jackson. Uh, thank you Hello. for joining us today, Marquis. Oh, no problem. It's my pleasure. Welcome, welcome. How are things today? Uh, things are great. You? <laughs> things are great. Things are great. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy, no busy schedule. Pleasure to do it. Um, now, have you always wanted to be a writer? You know, I have. Uh, before I even realized you could do it for a living, yeah. um, I've always kind of written and kind of created in my own kind of you know, part-time, you know, or hobby life kind of written shows, you know, even when I was, you know, elementary school, my, my first spec, actually, I wrote in the eighth grade in notebook, paper, and pencil, because the writers on my favorite TV show did something that I disliked. (laughs) (laughs) So I wrote five episodes of my own, course correcting their actions. So it's just, I've always, yeah, I would say that I've always wanted to be a writer. And (laughs) what show was that? It was a sitcom called A Different World. Oh, okay. And it was season five, and they broke up Dwayne and Whitley, and I thought that was a colossal mistake, so I, <laughs> I wrote five episodes bringing the couple back together because someone needed to fix it, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's one way to try to fix it, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was like no one else, and I knew no one else was going to read it. It was, just, it was just cathartic, I think, is what it was. It was like, yeah, someone needs to someone, – in someone's world, these, these two characters need to be together. That's <laughs> That's absolutely fabulous. Um, now, I know we both worked at uh, a talent agency, CAA, uh, a long yes. time ago. And yes. I personally found that experience and contact sort of invaluable. Um, what was your experience like working there, and, and what did you take away from it? You know, uh, I, you know I worked for uh, Rob Keneally in uh, TV packaging, and he's a great guy, great guy. I still talk to him today. He's actually one of my agents. And, you know, that experience – you know, I said it then, and I'll say it now. It was the smartest thing I did. I, I did professionally up to that point, mm-hmm. because you learn so much about the business. You learn how TV shows are created, from an initial two-sentence idea in a writer's head to it becoming a show on mm-hmm. the air, and just being able to kind of see that process and reading scripts and talking to clients and learning you know, kind of the agent's lingo and how they think and how they operate. I mean, it was, it was, I'm so glad I did it. it right. Was a very, you know, smartest thing I did at that point. Now, you have also taken um, a, a lot of other positions within uh, the television world. You've been on a, write, uh, on a writing staff, but you were also you started off as a writer's assistant on uh, the Courtney Cox show, Dirt. 
how did you end up getting that position as a writer's assistant? Because it, it is sort of hard to come by. Uh, and can you talk yeah. about what your responsibilities and duty were on? on that? Yeah, job? sure. Yeah, yeah. I got uh, Dirt. I uh, worked for uh, Joel Fields as in the first season of Dirt as his assistant. So he was the showrunner. So I mm. worked for him. Right. And he was, he's a CIA client. So that's how I kind of made the connection to Joel. Um, and you do a lot of a lot of the stuff that you do with CAA just on a smaller level. I mean, it's it's answering the phones and keeping the phone sheet and you know scheduling things and you know keeping their calendar. And so for a showrunner, in terms of like, well, what do, what kind of things they have on their calendar, uh, they might have studio or network notes calls. They might have time where they have to go down to editing and work on you know editing in, in the post production department on an episode. The art department might need an hour or two of their time to talk over some stuff, or there might be casting, or there might be, you know, locations might need their time doing pre-production. So you're kind of keeping their schedule and making sure they get the time that they want and need in the writer's room and, and the time that they m- might need with each individual writer on their episodes. So, um, so that's a big chunk of it. It's just kind of being like the liaison um, to the rest of the world because your, your boss kind of is the center point of the show. Um, so yeah, I did that for season one of Dirt, and then season two, you know, I kind of wanted, you know, to kind of expand my horizons and kind of broaden the scope of the things that I knew for the show, mm-hmm. and uh, the writer's assistant left from season one, so I asked Joe, I was like, hey, you know, can I, you know, get in the room as well, or at least split the time with, uh, with another assistant on the show, so I ended up season two retaining my showrunner assistant duties and being one of the writer's assistants at the same time, um, right. season two. Um, and in terms of what writer's assistants do, for shows that have a writer's room where it's like all the writers kind of get together and they flesh out the ideas and come up with ideas and pitch ideas for the episodes, essentially you're taking notes. And it and it's, and it's can be and, – and this, I think, reason why a lot of people don't excel as writer's assistants because – you have to, I mean, the typing. You have to be, you have to learn and know how to type very quickly, because mm-hmm. oftentimes you have multiple people talking over each other all at the same time, <laughs> and you have to get down what everyone is saying. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but then sometimes you have to kind of know what to include and what not to include, because if they go on a 15-minute rant about an idea that they're never going to use, then that's not something that they want included in the notes that might be 10 pages or so by the right. end of the day. Um, so it's just a lot of discernment. It's a lot of, you know, kind of management of them. Sometimes, you know, in the room, we would be like, you know, one person at a time, or can you repeat that, or should that be included in the notes? And I mean, just to ask those kind of questions, to, you know, to make sure that the notes that you produce are useful for everyone. And once you've kind of been in the room for a while and you develop that trust, and when it's appropriate, sometimes as a writer's assistant, you can pitch ideas in the mm-hmm. room. You know, some shows and some people are, were open to that. They certainly were on Dirt. There was a really good group of writers. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's taking notes in the room. It's taking notes doing notes calls with the studio network. And for the writer, that was essential for a writer's system to take notes because, you know, a writer doing a call is just trying to internalize everything, trying to engage with the executive to see what they're, you know, what they really mean by the note or getting what they, you know, why they respond to certain, you know, things a certain way. So they're not necessarily writing everything down. So you as the writer's assistant, it's good that you you have to take really good notes because when the writer comes back to that script and they look at your notes, you know, that, that, that night or the next day, it needs to all make sense because that's the conversation that they had hours before. 
um, you know, that they're trying to remember why this executive had this particular problem with the scene. Right. Um, so, yeah, in a nutshell, I think that's what, uh, that's what assistants, um, showrunner and writer assistants do on the show, you know, right, for the right. most part. Now, um, in 2009, this is something that I, I, I think a lot of people would be very interested in hearing more about. In 2009, you were selected for the Disney Writing Fellowship. Um, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that program and in terms of what it involved and, and how it sort of helped with your writing career? Because you had already had uh, a substantial amount of television experience, uh, television contacts. You'd been in writer's rooms. How did that Disney Writing Fellowship help you? Uh, well, essentially what they do um, with, with the Disney Writing Program is that once they bring you into the fellowship – you know, one of their main goals um, is to staff you mm-hmm. as a staff writer on ABC, you know, network and studio shows. Right. Um, so, I mean, so in terms of what it did for me, I mean, that's how I got my first writing gig, which mm-hmm. through the Disney program. And I, um, I went on to work on a show called The Forgotten for ABC, uh, the network. Uh, Star Christian Slater was a Bruckheimer kind of procedural. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, but that, that's how I got my kind of foot in the door professionally was through the, was through the Disney program. Mm-hmm. And uh, what did the program involve prior to you uh, being placed on a show? Uh, so, so those first couple of months, it's a year-long, it's a year-long program, mm-hmm. and so they pay you throughout that entire year, whether you if you get staffed on a show or not, or it doesn't matter when in the year you get staffed on a show, they, they're going to pay you for the full year. And so we started early February. You know, upfronts for the networks weren't until like May. So between February and May, we were working on spec scripts, and you know, with uh, within, with executives within the Disney Fellowship Department. So that was kind of what we did day to day. We had office hours, you know, five out, four or five hours a day that they wanted us to come in just to kind of to work on our scripts there um, in the offices, and then the rest of the day was kind of you know what we wanted it to be in terms of work and where we, you know, decided to finish writing for the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was the day-to-day. And then they had, like, little classes and seminars. Um, you know, alumni would come, you know, kind of teach you about dynamics of a writer's room, you know, the type of personalities you might encounter, um, and, you know, try to do the best that they could to kind of help prepare you um, for being staffed on the show. So, yeah, we would have, like, little sessions scattered throughout. Mm-hmm. Now, talking about... Uh writers rooms and writing staffs uh what are some of the 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 things that they had that the alumni had mentioned to you some of the personalities you might encounter is there anything that you can sort of share yeah i i think uh you know in terms of like staff writers and mm-hmm. i think this is always just kind of good you know information for anyone kind of starting on on a show is learning when to speak up and learning when not to. Because mm-hmm. um, as a staff writer, you obviously you're there to contribute. That's why you're being paid. That's why they're. That's why you're sitting at the table. But sometimes you you don't want to overburden the room with ideas that don't work or ideas that aren't completely you know thought out mm-hmm. or ideas that kind of derail the room. Um, so you have to find that balance in, in contributing but not talking too much because no one likes a staff writer that talks too much unless you're really good and your pitches are, you know what I mean? So you have to yeah. kind of, you know, gauge the temperature of the room uh, because some people don't like staff writers to talk at all, you know? So you just, you got to, every show, every room, you know, is different. Uh, and the other thing too is like no one likes the guy or the girl 
uh, at any level, staff writer or not, that just kind of says an idea doesn't work but doesn't give an idea that is better or does work or doesn't give an idea that makes the bad idea worthwhile. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? No one likes the, you know, de- the deconstructor. It's just like, oh, that doesn't work or that's not a good idea or makes fun of an idea, but then you don't bring anything to the table after that. Sure. Um, you know, so, yeah, so it's like things, things like that and just the dynamics of the person who always wants to make sure their stuff is on the board and never likes to be questioned. I mean, it's, it's being in a room sometimes is like being on a playground, <laughs> you know, and everyone wants their time at the swing and everyone wants their turn and, you know, just kind of respecting that and kind of knowing how to kind of engage and disengage when you need to. Right. Now, do you enjoy the interaction of working in a writer's room, or do you prefer writing solo? You know, I, I, like, I like having a writer. I actually like uh, having a bit of both. Like, you know, house, we didn't have a traditional room where all 14 writers sat in the room and talked about and broke the stories together every day, all day. Uh, mm-hmm. That's not how our show operated. Um, you kind of pitched your idea at the beginning of the season, they assigned you an episode, usually assigned you an episode based out of the, out of the ideas that you pitched. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of go off to your office and your whiteboard and you start kind of breaking it on your own. But if you run into problems and or at certain points you do need to kind of pitch your, you know, where you are to your showrunner or the person shepherding your episode, then in those moments you have like a smaller, closer-knit room you know, if you need it, and then you kind of can work through your story that way. So it was like so it was a lot of independent study, but if you got stuck, you could bring in a small group of people to kind of help you out, help you out. And I kind of I kind of like that you got the 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 marriage of both. Because um, sometimes if you have too many writers in a room, like 14 writers in a room every day all day, just would not have that. Just wouldn't have worked. <laughs> right. Uh, it just it just wouldn't have had. It's just too many. It's just too many people. Um, so sometimes, I mean, so I like a little bit of a mix of both, but I can, I can function either way, depending on what the show wants and needs. Do you have any, uh, memorable writer's room stories that you can share? Oh gosh, nothing comes to mind other than, uh, you know, it's not really a writer's room story, but every day at house, uh-huh. you know, we would all eat together in the writer's room, even though we didn't have a room every day. And so it just always kind of, you know, tickled me that every day for like the first couple of months, it was a different YouTube video from a show from you know that aired in the 70s or 80s that we were looking at. It's like somehow, some way, the conversation always ended up with a YouTube clip about Welcome Back Carter or the Jeffersons. <laughs> it's just kind of, it was just, I mean, <laughs> but we would also talk about po- politics. It was just like the, the the range of conversations just kind of you know hit the hit the gambit um, on that show. Um, right. But no, I, I pretty much all the. The writers rooms I've been in have been have been really really good. Um, and so no no crazy stories, unfortunately for you guys. <laughs> no problem. Um, now uh, we were we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, you, in years past, specs were what got you staffed or got you the opportunity. Uh, and now it's pilots. Um, yes. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that sort of shift, that sort of dynamic shift, and and what it's like for you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, there was this this shift from, you know, from you know specs to pilots, and I I kind of actually like that. I mean, I like, you know, creating a world and and thinking, you know, coming up with your own kind of material that you can use, 
you know, forever. A good sample is a good sample. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. like a spec script, you know, it's they get dated very quickly. If the show gets canceled, then that's not really a viable spec for you to use anymore. I mean, it's just, you know, too many things are out of your control when you're when you're when you're when you're writing a spec. Right. Um, so I kind of enjoy um, the process more of writing a pilot. And then also too, when people are reading for staffing, the problems that would often arise with, you know, the things that they read, they really couldn't judge, you know, how, how closely you match the voice of the show if they didn't watch the show or if they didn't like the show. Right. I mean, so then sometimes you would get into that conundrum where the person wouldn't want to read your sample just because they don't like the show or they don't know the show and they don't want to read, you know, 60 pages where they don't, where you're kind of dropping into, dropping a storyline into an existing series that's already going versus starting fresh with new characters and the story is, is starting for the reader and for the characters at the same time. Right. Um, you know, so that, yeah, but that, that's the world we're living in and that's, that's fine by me. Right. Except for uh, the fellowships, like the Nickelodeon Fellowship, the Warner Brothers, yeah. NBC Writers on the Verge, they do request uh, uh, specs, don't they? Yeah, I think, I, I know ABC still does. Warner Brothers, I'm not exactly sure, although I think while you're in the program, I think with Warner Brothers, they do um, have a component where you can work on original material. And mm-hmm. I think the Fox program that just um, that started last year, um, there is a pilot writing component to it as well. Right. Uh, so I think more and more, I think a lot, some, at least a few of the studios are figuring out, because, you know, at first it was a legal issue in terms of like yeah, why yeah. they didn't want their, you know, participants to write original material, but I think, you know, they're figuring that stuff out, which is great. Sure, absolutely. Um, we were talking also earlier about uh, some great television show. It seems to be that even with the sort of glut of uh, reality television, it really sort of is the golden age of television because of cable. Uh, there's so many right. great shows on. Um, how right. has that affected the market? Because it, it used to be just network and seasons used to be 22 episodes. Now there's, and it used to be solely uh, a season. Now their seasons run sort of offset. Some run during uh, network hiatus. It, the cable shows will sometimes premiere and there'll be 12, 10 episode seasons. And uh, all this, it's sort of, changed sort of the landscape how has that affected uh television in terms of from a writer's perspective uh well i mean it's it's interesting because like it's it it is more there are there are more shows out there because there are more networks like you know networks you know like stars are you know they're having original programming now mm-hmm. and like other a and e everyone's kind of getting into the game i know it's, it's it's interesting because when you do the numbers like staffs on the network side have kind of shrinked. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's if like cable is giving more, you know, jobs or if it's just kind of offsetting the jobs that we've lost, you know, post financial crisis. You know, I don't right. have the exact numbers on that. Um, but in terms of scheduling, yeah, I mean, you you could get on a show, you know, that shoots now but won't air until next summer. Right. Um, and you don't know if you're going to have a job, if it's going to be picked up for season two for another year or so. Right. Um, and, and that maybe was 13 episodes, maybe it was eight, maybe it was 10. You just, you just don't know. Right. Um, so from that, that standpoint, it's, it's kind of, it, it becomes a different, different animal. Cause like network, you know, you could set the clock, you know, now, you know, fall, they're going to premiere here mid season. They're going to you know air roughly here and the cable it's, it's completely different. Um, you know, it is a lot of off-cycle stuff. Um, and every cable show is kind of different in terms of, like, how many episodes they do in one sitting. 
right. depending on, you know, their popularity or not, or if they'll let you out of your contract or not. Because if they don't, then you have to wait that year plus until you know for sure if the show is coming back or not. Right. So that's the other thing, too. You can't work – you can't do any work in TV from what right. I understand. So, right. uh, yeah, so it's, yeah, so it's definitely different. But I think I love that there are other – avenues and other, you know, because every kind of cable network has its own kind of, well, every network has its voice and its own voice and brand. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the shows that I I like and watch, you know, are cable shows, um, you know, because they're, they're, you know, allowing themselves or they're allowed to kind of do things that you can't necessarily do or if the perception is you can't do on network television. So I think, you know, cable is great. I love that there are more and more cable shows out there. Right. And I, I completely agree. Um, and also going back to these sort of, of uh, cable television shows where they're seven episode runs, 10 episode runs, 13, whatever it happens to be, less than 22. Uh, I right. know from what I understand that Writers Guild on a 22, 20 or 22 episode season, um, there's, uh, the producers are sort of required to outsource, I believe it's two to three episodes of that to writers that are not on their writing staff. I think they're they're mandated to do that. But I think it goes down, obviously, with the 10-episode season. It may only be one episode of that, uh, from my understanding. Has that made it Uh, difficult for for sort of newer writers? uh, You know, I I, I definitely, you know, I I don't know. I can't, I I think it's, it's, I think it depends on the show. Mm -hmm. Because I think, and, and the showrunners, because, some might want to do that even if there is no requirement, or some, you know, might take the penalty and pay the money even though there is sure. a requirement to do that, and they have a, the, the, a number of episodes. Like I have a, a friend of mine, um, he just got promoted from being an assistant to being staffed on a show, um, and it's a cable show, you know, that airs 13 episodes a season. So I just mm-hmm. think it really depends on um, the executive producers that you have and, and the opportunities that you, that you want to give. Because again, you know, just because you have 22 episodes and you're you're supposed to farm out two of those scripts doesn't necessarily mean they're going to. I mean, I think these days most of the time they go to assistance, but I've been on shows right. where they haven't. Right, right. Um, there's also a, a tendency, I think, for for uh, sort of baby writers, young writers, to follow trends. Oh, vampires are all the the rage, or whatever it happens to be. Uh, what is your sort of take on that in sort of uh, following the trends and trying to create pilots based on things that are popular at, at the time? Yeah, you know, for me, I, I think it's, I mean, the reality is we, we, you know, as writers, we, we, you know, we are we consider ourselves artists. We're writing because, you know, we have something to say and something important and we love the craft and we, and we love, you know, what writing you know, can do, mm-hmm. but, you know, there is the business side of it, you know, yeah. that we, you know, we are creating product that, you know, we want to sell it. We're not the, you know, kid in eighth grade writing just because, you know, he loves it. <laughs> right. Um, you know, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to pay our bills and feed our families on that. But I think you got to find, it's a, it's a marriage. You have to find the marriage of both. You can't, you can't, you know, write everything following the market. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to write things, in my opinion, that you're passionate about. But at the same time, I think you can also be kind of strategic in the things, you know, that you write, you know. Right. Um, because sometimes, you know, 
that new idea. I mean, because why are vampires new? Because someone decided to write vampires when vampires were not on the market. Right. You know what I mean? And, and if, if that person was following the market, then they never would have, you know, taken, what was the first show, True Blood or whatever it was. You know, let's take this book, you know, and make a TV show out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think you have to kind of find – you know, and depending on what your goals are, because if you're writing something that you don't want to sell, that you want to be a calling card for future work, then that's completely different. So I think it also depends on what you want, what your goals are for that, you know, specific piece of material. I think that's also key too. Right, right. Um, I wanted to touch on uh, actual television writing, and uh, having been in a writer's room, having worked on a staff, how do you go about pitching? Uh, your uh, ideas and how detailed do your pitches get in terms of, you know, pitching an episode of House, for example? Uh, well, I think it depends on the show. Um, like, for example, when on my first show, mm-hmm. The Forgotten, when you pitched an idea, well, there's two different two different levels. Like, there were, we did one sessions where it was just kind of pitch a, new, a unique idea for the victim of the week. Mm-hmm. And if you have something, you know, specific about the victim and, you know, that was interesting, you know, if they, were, if they were a biker or if they, you know, were in a circus or whatever it is, that might lend itself to certain elements that you could use in the episode. So that is very brief. Sure. Um, but then as the season went along, the, you know, the concept of pitching an idea was a two-page document. You pitched a story area. So that, that had more of a beginning, a middle, and an end. It was like mm-hmm. a fully-fledged story versus just like two lines. Right. So on, on, on The Forgotten, the needs of, you know, the, the, I guess the quantity or the content of material when you pitch changed. Um, for House, since it was kind of multiple people pitching ideas and, you know, and each person might have three to five ideas, um, I think they ranged. Sometimes they were maybe a couple of sentences. Uh, other times, you know, you might pitch a patient of the week and you also kind of talk about whatever social, you know, moral or ethical dilemmas that might present themselves with that particular kind of character. So, yes, it wasn't a whole lot. We we didn't submit um, two-page documents when you were initially pitching, but then once you got the episode, you know, once you were assigned something, then you would do like the two- to three-page document where you did the story beginning, the middle, and end. So every show um, is different. And then Lone Star, it could be a couple of sentences. You know, that, mm-hmm. that we were just in a writer's room, and so it's okay. Like, hey, I had this idea last night. What if, you know, Bob did this? Um, so, yeah, so, to, you know, to answer your question, I think it just depends on the show, and you just, you know, have to learn how to adjust to what the show needs and, and the process. Right. Yeah. Um, assuming money were not an option, uh, what what type of show would you uh, – is your favorite? What type of show would you like to work on? Are you a sitcom guy? Are you a procedural medical drama guy? You... Uh, you know, I'm a char- I'm a character guy. You okay. know, um, um, and I would take that I would take that slice of character if it's sci-fi. I will take it if it's you know a period piece. I'll take it if it's you know something contemporary, um, or if it's a procedural that you know has a lot of character in it. There's not mm-hmm. a lot of those, but you know, so I, for me, it's all about what drives me to TV as a viewer and as a writer is the character and what unique situations you can put this, this very unique character into and exploring, exploring that. So, um, but definitely drama, you know, I'm not a sitcom guy. Right. Um, uh, you know, although I do like, you know, dramas with a little bit of humor, but you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a drama guy, you know? Right. Right. Um, 
now I know that you're definitely also a TV guy. Um, now, why do you think you're more drawn to television than features per se? Not that saying that, you know, you obviously couldn't write a feature or haven't, but why are you more drawn to television? I think it's, it's, it's I, I think what I love again is about character, being able to fall in love with a character, be invested in that character and being able to see a journey, you know, for 22 weeks out of the year or 13 weeks out of a year mm-hmm. and seeing new things happening to them and seeing them change and evolve or, or not. Um, you know, whereas movies, you know, you get two hours, you know, every other year for, you know, for three films and then that's it. Right. Um, you know what I mean? But, but, with, but with TV, I, I, I was always kind of drawn to the idea of following someone, following a character and, and just being invested in them and what happened to them on the screen. Um, so I think for me, I think that's why I kind of was drawn to, to, to you know, to TV, just that, you know, having more time to, to spend with the characters. Right. Um, and uh, I do think that some of the best quality material nowadays is coming out in television, just some absolutely amazing material. Um, so I, 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 it seems like uh, it's a hotbed for, uh, I think because of the cable, you are able to do a lot more things and able to explore, explore a lot of different topics and areas that you couldn't before on network TV. Right. Um, now, what is uh, a writer's role during production? When, it, when your episode is shooting as a writer, where are you and what are you doing? Uh, well, when you're, well, before you're shooting, you have, um, depending on the show, like House, we had eight days, mm-hmm. eight days of prep, eight days of shooting. And so um, during those eight days of prep, you were in meetings. You know, mm-hmm. you were in, you know, you were in casting. You were in the production meeting. You were in the med, med tech meeting. Um, you were in, you know, the costumes. I mean, you were just, you were going to meetings about your show. Right. Because um, every episode, wardrobe, all the different departments come together and figure out what the needs are for the show. And as a writer, you're in the majority, uh, you know, of those meetings, you know, figuring mm-hmm. things out with the crew and with the director. Um, and then when you're shooting, um, uh, you know, the great thing about House is that you were actually, as a writer, able to kind of go down on set and cover set and be there for when, you know, the actors had questions about certain lines or why is this there or I don't understand this part of the story or, you know, just to kind of make sure um, that you get what you need emotionally from the actors for that episode. Because David Shore, you go through the script and you know what lines he wants to hit and how he wants those hit and what the tone of that episode should be. So you kind of know what David Shore uh, was looking for. So that was part of, you know, your job when you're on set. So, yeah, you're there with the crew and the actors and the director day in and day out until your eight days are up, and then they move on to another episode. And then you get your next pitch ready. Yeah, I mean, you get, yeah. your, you get your next pitch, you know, pitch ready to go. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so then the cycle continues all over again. Um, but on other shows, you would just kind of go back to the writer's room and, um, and continue kind of collaborating, collaborating, collaborating with the other writers, you know, on whatever episodes on the board. Um, right. Um, and in terms of um, when you're not in production or I guess even in, in, in pre or post production, uh, when you're uh, in hiatus, what, 
what do you do as a writer when you're not on staff, when you're not on a show right at the moment? Is it uh, try, just working to get on another show? Is it developing your own material and pitching that? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, I mean, in what you just said, those two things can go, you know, at, you know hand in hand. You can mm-hmm. do those at the same time. You can sure. have your agent, you know, searching for opportunities for you. But, you know, most writers doing their hiatus, um, unless it's, you know, unless it's in the spring and they know they're coming back to a show, then a lot of people just kind of travel and take the time off right. before the show starts again, which is, you know, wise. Um, but no, but you write. You continue to write. You develop your own ideas that, that you know, passion project that you've been working on or couldn't start or couldn't finish because um, you were focused on, you know, the show you were working on, you pick it up and you start you start writing again. So I think right. that's what most writers that I know do. You right. write. Yeah. Um, and what sort of advice would you give to sort of aspiring television writers? Oh, just generally speaking? Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I would say... I don't know. That's that's a really that's a really big question. I think there's so many little things. Um, I, first, I, I would say just I know it might be easy to say you know now for me, but it's just like to hang in there. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. it's it's a marathon, not a race. You know what I mean? And it takes time. And even though it might help happen for someone else, a friend of yours, because I know for me I went through that. It's just like I, you know, other people I knew got you know, were getting staffed or were getting episodes as assistants and. You know that wasn't happening for me just because it was just various reasons. You know, most beyond my control. Mm-hmm. You know, you just have to kind of stick it out and you know and keep going because it is, you know, a process. You know, and again to continue to write, um, to develop relationships, and to take the time to develop relationships. I think sometimes, you know, when people meet other people in Hollywood, it's all about the instant gratification of what can this person do for me in the next sure. five minutes versus you know, just starting off with having coffee with someone and letting them get to know you and you getting to know them and, you know, just building a relationship versus trying to get that one quick, you know, favor. And Absolutely. just and just be genuine with people. Be honest, be real, be in that conversation. Don't look over the person's shoulder trying to see if there's someone more important coming through the door. Right. Uh, I mean, no, and people do that. I mean, people do that. So I think, you know, I, and I think, you know, that's off the top of my head that – those those things, but more importantly, just continue to write and to hone your craft and to build relationships on on the show. Um, you know, so you can have those advocates for when there's an opportunity for a freelance that you're the person that's you know recommended for it. Or if you have a script that you need someone to read, that you've developed relationships with writers on the show that they would want to read it and they will you know be glad to do it. But again that takes time to build that relationship with those writers to ask those kind of questions. I think a lot of people go in, you know, wanting to pitch in the room and wanting to have people read their scripts. But in my opinion, you have to kind of earn those opportunities. You have to show Mm -hmm. that you can do the job that you were hired to do, do it well, do it with a good attitude. And before all the other stuff comes. Right. Right. Um, And going back to sort of that, making connections and, and building a network, uh, it does start at the sort of lowest levels too. Uh, like we both worked at CAA and made a lot of contacts. And I know you worked as a, an assistant on uh, Dirt and Ugly Betty. Um, uh, how valuable are those contacts moving as you've been? Oh, they're, oh, they're extremely valuable. I mean, 
a, a lot of the you know few of the assistants from Ugly Betty um, mm-hmm. are staffed on shows now. I mean, others that aren't, they're still in the mix and getting closer and closer to getting staffed. I mean, so you know those relationships you know are key. You know, uh, I mean it's. I mean, because you're all there, you know, in the trenches together, and no one really kind of understands what you're going through other than someone who's going sure. through the exact same thing. Um, and even still now with me, I, I mean, I still talk to, you know, assistants and writers' assistants from shows I've been staffed on because I remember what it was like to be them. So if, if there's any way I can be useful, you know, I try to be useful. And, again, I believe all of those individuals are going to be on shows one day. I mean, sure. You know what I mean? So it's just like – I feel like we all get there, you know, if you stay, stay, you stick it out, it's just, you get there in different ways at different times. Right. You know, so, you know, so, I mean, and then you're right, like assistance at CAA, it's funny, the agents, you know, would say that to us, that, you know, you're all going to leave here, you're all going to rise together in your receptive, you know, your respective kind of pockets of the industry. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what's happened. I mean, you know, people that I worked with for a year as an assistant at CAA, you know, are executives at NBC now and Mm -hmm. and other production companies. So it's, yeah, so you're right. It does start, you know, that fellow assistant, you know, where you guys will end up five years from now. Absolutely. And it's the tendency, I think, for young writers especially to think I'm a writer, which you are, but there's, you're not a professional writer until you, like you you would mention, until you earn it. You earn that opportunity to be read, to, to be seen. And, you know, paying your dues, so to speak, uh, on a, a, as a writer's assistant, as an assistant on a desk at, at an agency, um, as a showrunner's assistant, as a PA, whatever it happens to be, um, sort of, again, paying your dues and making contacts at the same time, that's sort of overlooked. It's like, I'm going to write, I'm going to be brilliant, and someone is going to read my scripts and think I'm brilliant and pay me lots of money. And that's not generally the way it works. Um, right, yeah. Yeah, no, and it's funny because, like, it, it's, you know, people back home, I always say this to me because, you know, yeah, sure there are those stories mm-hmm. of that person that was discovered at Starbucks or discovered, you know, while they were a bartender or a waiter or a waitress somewhere. And I was like, yeah, those stories do happen. I said, but what people forget is that that person didn't expect to get discovered that way. They expected it to go, to go through the long haul to pay their dues, which is why they were working at Starbucks, sure. which is why they were a waiter, because they needed a job while they were going to auditions or writing during the day. Right. Um, so I think, I think you do have to come into this expecting to put in some time and putting in some work. And even for me, as a writer, I, I, it's, that, and that never changes. I'm still putting in time and paying my dues and you know, trying to work my way up the ranks, um, even you know, as, a, as a writer. I mean, so that, it never really stops. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's just the arena that you're playing in changes. Right. Um, other than, you know, writing ability, obviously, uh, what do you think the most important skill or ability for uh, a staff writer to have is? I think go in there with a good attitude, mm-hmm. you know, and just be able to, I know like um, the showrunners on house, I, I had coffee with them you know, after the, after the year was done, because I always kind of like to do a recap to kind of see what things I did well, what things I can improve on for the next time. And, mm-hmm. and they were, you know, one of the things that they said that I did well, is just like, you just, you just rolled with the punches. Your episode changed so much and you constantly came back with new ideas, more ideas. And, the, and even when those got ch- changed or shot down, you came back with more. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, having a good attitude, working hard and just, you know, contributing to the show. I think that's, you know, just having a good attitude. Right. You know, no one wants to sit in a room for eight hours with someone who's got a foul attitude, you know, right. negative all the time. Or, you know, I, you know, I think you, 
you earn more points when people can see that you're thriving and moving through adversity. Right. Um, and I, I really do. Like, for example, I'm going to give you a short, a short story. Um, my first assignment when I was on the, on the Forgotten, I got assigned an episode to write. And they told me, you know, why don't you spend the week and the weekend, kind of give us kind of like a beat sheet, and let's go, you know, take it from there. So I did that, turned it in. They loved it, gave me notes, and it's like, you know, go with God. You know, take our notes. You're, you know, this is in really good shape. And so a couple of days later, I you know, the producer, the EPs come in, and they tell me that I can't write that episode. Because even though my episode was technically number eight, they had problems with some of the previous episodes. And so eight turned out to be episode three. Oh. And they could not, you know, make the argument of having a first-time staff writer writing episode three of a brand new show. Sure. So they were going to have another writer write the episode that I had previously been working on. Mm-hmm. Now, I could have gotten an attitude. I could have said that that wasn't fair and, and had a you know, foul attitude about it. But when you're on a show, you're on a show. And mm-hmm. everything you produce is for the show. And if I wrote something that was in good enough shape to be pushed up, then I had done my job. Sure. And I knew that I would earn more credibility and more points in being a team player than I would with being a baby and complaining and being unprofessional and I went on to co-write the story for that script, for that episode, and then I co-wrote three scripts after that. So I ended right. up with four credits on that show, and that would wow. not have happened had I had an attitude when someone said, you know, sorry, thank you for your work, but you can't write this episode. Right, right. Absolutely. For a first-time staff writer, that's impressive. Right, right. So yeah. it's just like, no, it's just like, you know, don't get too big for your britches. I mean, yeah. I understand. It's like you're there for the, you're there for the show. And I mean, that's... Going to your other question, like what other skills you need to have, you're there for the show. I think sometimes young writers can get too precious with their ideas, right. but you need to go in there with the attitude that once I pitch this idea, the idea belongs to the show. And I might get to write it, I might not get to write it, but if it sticks and stays on the board and moves forward, then I've done my job. That's yeah. what you're there for. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. Um, I guess lastly, uh, favorite TV shows? Wanted to ask you favorite TV shows. Yeah, uh, you're a yeah. TV guy. Yes, I, I am a TV guy. So uh, Game of Thrones, yeah. uh, Homeland, Mad Men. Um, I watch, you know, a lot. I watch sci-fi for so Doctor Who. You know, I really like. Um, you know, I watch a little bit of everything. Like the, I watch, even watch like the Revenges and the Vampire Diaries of the World. Right. But, um, but yeah, but I watch a lot of The Sons of Anarchy is another one. I watch a lot of a lot of cable shows. I find. Um, but yeah, but I think those would be my those would be my favorite. Breaking Bad? You watch Breaking Bad? You know, it's funny. It's one of those shows that it's on my queue to watch because everyone tells me it's amazing, yeah. and I feel like a horrible person for not having watched <laughs> uh, one you know one one episode of Breaking Bad. I've, I mean, I've watched the pilot, but that's it. Right. So it's just like I gotta watch this show because everyone says it's so amazing. How about uh, uh, Boardwalk Empire? Boardwalk Empire? You know, I couldn't get into it. Oh, okay. You know. I couldn't get into. It. I might. I might get another stab at it, but it just. It just moved too slow for me. I think. Um, and uh, like, whose career? I guess uh, in terms of uh, following TV to its penultimate, being a showrunner of your own show, whose uh, sort of career would you look at and go, "That's somebody who I would love to be able to emulate what they have done." You know, I kind of like it, you know the you know the Greg Belanti and Josh Whedon's of the world. Oh. You know, guys that that 
have show have you know one or two shows on the air, but also have had like a really strong you know feature career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think that because I kind of see that that's why I would love to kind of get to a point where I'm doing that as well, that I can kind of segue um, back and forth between you know both you know or or have like you know a lot of shows you know a few shows on my on my on the production side on my you know with a production company and. There's some that I run every day, and then there's some that I don't. I oversee, I, you know, you know I mean, I oversee and take a smaller, smaller role in. But I kind of see, I would love to kind of be in that that real house one day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And probably all of your experience working as a showrunner's assistant and uh, will definitely come in handy in that production aspect of of uh, a TV series, TV series instead of just oh you know, yeah, the writing yeah, I, oh yeah. I mean, especially you know that working for Joel on Dirt, that was my first kind of experience with working on the production side uh, of a TV drama anyway, and just all mm-hmm. the different things that kind of go into it and negotiating, dealing with, you know, budgets, because every episode has its own individual budget, you know, that contributes to the larger budget. Um, so, yeah, I think all of those experiences, you know, kind of are useful. Right, right. Um, now we're at the, the point of the show uh, near the end where we have a, a little section called Rapid Fire. It's just sort of either-or questions fun little either-or questions that I wanted to roll past you. Okay. Uh, Mac or PC? Mac. Uh, Dallas or Fort Worth? Fort Worth. Um, tigers or horned frogs? <laughs> I gotta go with tigers. <laughs> okay. Um, Percy Jackson and the Olympians or Action Jackson? Better movie. <laughs> I've never seen Percy Jackson, so I'm about to go with Action Jackson. <laughs> um, who would win in a snowball fight? You, Christian Slater, or Hugh Laurie? Oh, that's funny. You know, I'm, I, you know, I'm gonna bet on myself. I would. <laughs> nice, nice. Even though you're from Texas. Yeah, even though I'm from Texas, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I thought you'd go with one of the other two just because of the lack of experience in snowball fights, but I don't know. Mm, no, no, I, I'm, a, I'm a scrappy guy. I, 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 can t- I pick up things quickly. Excellent. I like that. <laughs> and finally, more interesting Marquis, the sexual libertine Marquis de Sade or Revolutionary War General uh, Marquis de Lafayette? <laughs> you know, I think I'm going to stick with Marquis Jackson on that one. <laughs> the best Marquis of all. Um, right. Well, that's all the time for we have now. We have for now. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Marquis. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. Uh, please visit our website at scriptsandscribes.com for more information on all of our guests, archived podcasts, and other great written interviews and information on writing. And if you have any questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or send us a tweet to at scriptscribes. There's no and in the middle there, just at scriptscribes. Thanks for listening. 